<laughs> it would be a wolf, but eh? Hello everyone. Good morning, good evening. Stu here. And happy international break, I suppose we should say that, which is one of the best times of year for some of us, the worst for most. So something different for a change today. We've got, I was going to say Daniel Warren, because that's how you <laughs> you promote oh, yourself. I answer, I answer to anything, Stu. <laughs> you, you answer to any name. Yes. Um, Dan Warren from the Wolves Trust on today. Just because Wolves put a press release out on Wednesday as with all Premier League clubs. Saying Wolves confirmed new fan advisory board. The purpose of the fan advisory board is to create a consultative panel of supporters who will work alongside the club with a primary purpose of engaging in dialogue, exchanging information or ideas and securing feedback from the fans' perspective. So that was Wednesday. I have seen nothing <laughs> whatsoever about this on Twitter with normal, let's say, let's correct that, through normal-ish people. So other than people who listen to the Price of Football podcast obviously know about this because of the government white paper and all the Tracy Crouch stuff, which yeah. you're more qualified to talk about than me, even though I listened to that for three years and yeah. whatever. Um, but as we do with all new people to this channel, Daniel, other than the fact that we worked together years ago. <laughs> yeah. A good old spoons. Friday mornings. Um, so, <laughs> well, it was Friday mornings to start with until you <laughs> until you got moved and we were separated because yeah. we couldn't be trusted or, to, or trusted to do our jobs properly, let's just say. No, that. no. I mean, like, to be honest, I mean, Tim Martin's a bit of a skinful into the best of times. And then, obviously, he wouldn't really want to pay me and you to talk for hours on end about Wolves, to be honest with you. Which is <laughs> what ended up happening quite a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so... The usual question, favourite Wolves player that isn't Steve Ball? Oh, favourite Wolves player that isn't Steve Ball? Out of the current crop of players, for me... Doesn't have to be the current crop. Oh, doesn't it? Okay. Michael Kiteley. Oh, interesting. And the reason why is I, when I first started... When I properly got into starting to, you know, in your teenage years, you start understanding the game of football. You start seeing how team plays. And Mick McCarthy got a lot of stick when we were in the Premier League for playing sort of long ball, quite boring football. But those years we were in the Championship, we played quite good. Down the wing, cross it in, quite exciting attacking football. And when Kitely was fit, I think on, on his day, he was absolutely unplayable. You know, it, it absolutely... Um, got us in, up the pitch, took players on, crossed balls in. And, you know, if he'd remained fit, I think he would have been, for that period of time anyway, or, or beyond, you know, I think if we hadn't sold him at the time we sold him, and I think if he'd been more fit while we're in the Premier League, I think we'd have been staying in the Premier League a lot longer. And I also think uh, he'd play for England as well at some point. I, I think on his day, he was better than Matt Jarvis and better yeah. than Stephen Hunt. Um, and he cost us, I think, 25 grand as well. And I like a bargain. 
So for me, Michael Kitely, today's Wolves team out of all the players I've seen over the last few years, Chantinia by far. Yeah, on the back of the shirt. There you go. So, but yeah, Michael Kitely, I really liked him. It was gutted when we sold him. Yeah, he was one of the where I I saw him at Spurs, um, Spurs away. I think it was the one after we came back. Yeah, and I had to go up and apologise to him because of the stick I gave him at Burton away. Yeah, because um, I, I thought, well, everyone called you a greedy bastard that day, including me. We didn't yeah. know the full story. Obviously, he came out on Jace's show. And yeah, I think it was a, you know, it was, I think when we came down from the Premier League, they just built the new, you know, the new Stan Cullis stand. And I think a lot of money, I think the club overspent on that, to be honest, at the time. And um, I think Michael was, they had a year left on his contract. We had Stoll backing in. And I don't think he was offered a contract. So then Stoke come in and offered him a longer contract, bearing in mind his injury record as well. And then offered Wolves, I think I think it was a fee of about three and a half million at the time, something like that. I mean, from a business point of view, from the football club, I can see why Jez Moxie sold him, but I, I, I think that was part of our the reason why we sort of went on that slide into League One. That was one of those decisions that led to that, I think. Yeah. There was a lot of it. <laughs> there, there was a lot. lot of there was a lot. I've listened to Dean Saunders give his side of the story on that as well, and that's an interesting one. But we'd be here all day listening, talking about why Wolves ended up in League One. But for me, Michael Kitely, I really liked, enjoyed watching him. Um, first player I ever had on the back of my shirt as well. Funny enough, we were talking about um, shirts earlier and stuff like that before we started the recording. But um, first player I actually had, you know, on the back of my shirt was Michael Kitely, number seven. Is it acceptable for a near 30-year-old man to have a, a name on the back of a shirt in public? Well, I am 30, <laughs> and I have got Martinho's name on the back of Probably not, but it was one of those where they launched a shirt and the club offered a really good deal to have a name put on. And I thought, to be honest, it would be, be the last opportunity, I think, yeah. to have Martinho on, on, on a shirt. And do you know what? Um I'll go to Port. You know, I've been to Portugal quite a bit in the last couple of years. I went to I went to um, I went I went to Madeira, and I was there in the Wolves Portugal third kit from a few years ago. You know, the, the takeoff of that. Yeah. And, and I, I, I was just walking randomly down a street with this. It was quite a warm day. Just had my Wolves top on, walking around, and the amount of people who stopped me, like three <laughs> or four people. My partner was absolutely like bewildered. Uh, People stopping me going, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Portugal B team, or they were going, Jan Martinio, Ruben Neves at me. So, so to be honest, um, for me, I thought, do you know what? They were doing a good deal. I'll have it on the back of my shirt. And you know what? I'll probably go to Portugal at some point and someone will try and buy me a pint or something. Daft like that. I've, I've had that happen to me going abroad. We've all stuff on before. Uh, in Budapest, of all places, with a Greek bloke <laughs> when I was about 19. That happened to me then, yeah. There sends to be more to that story. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a, there's a, I was yeah, I was in Budapest, first time abroad, wore my wolves top, walking down the street, a guy come running out of a cafe with a, with a very heavy Greek uh, accent, basically saying, um, "Wolverhampton Wanderers Premier League next season." Da, 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 da. Started reeling off all these players from the seventies uh, because obviously when Wolves were in the Europe in in the in the seventies, it was like the first opportunity of. European football being broadcast and, and he must have seen us get to like the UEFA Cup final, this guy. And he was he was telling me like all this about oh Wolves. I watched Wolves on the telly when I was a child, you know, all this. 
and it was it was a mad sort of 20 minutes sort of thing like that and he said do you want a pint and I was like hey, go on then yeah I'm free beer like, and I had a chat with football with him for a good half an hour 45 minutes he was talking about wolves and you know it was, it was very unexpected so at least one being groomed that's the main thing no 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 absolutely I can categorically say I wasn't groomed I mean to be fair, it is only English people who, mo- who kind of have gatekeeping about wearing names on the back of shirts. You see it all over the world, everywhere else. No one cares. Yeah. yeah but obviously, no. I'm not I'm not going to judge anyone on fashion. I'm just putting it out there because I know people will comment. But there we yeah, are. No, no one I, cares. I, I, do what you want. Yeah. I'm, I'm, to be fair, though, out of all the shirts I've had over the last few years, this has had probably the least run out because I like the turquoise away top that's had more of a run out this season and when I bought this one we lost like all our games and I sort of got a bit of an omen and as soon as I wore the turquoise one we won uh so I started wearing that so I get a little bit superstitious like that sometimes um so, so this hasn't had much of a run out to be honest we've only worn that thing twice as well and probably looking at the fixtures left we probably only will wear it twice all season long which is yeah I'm not sure actually, actually another thing that could potentially be mentioned in this kind this the whole point of this podcast really um but so football fan trust supporter trusts yeah yeah i remember back in probably the best part of two decades ago there was a wolves trust then and i went to the first meeting of it thought this ain't for me and yeah. it either i don't know what happens it either died the death or it just no one it, it just went it's the natural conclusion of it, it wasn't needed for us, which is a good thing. Um, and I, I was looking around earlier, looking at, there was an, a great article on the big issue about fan-owned football clubs. You just type it in. It's a, it's a great read uh, from August. And you got the obvious ones like FC United of Manchester that came from the Glazers. And yeah. you have success stories like AFC Wimbledon, obviously, and Newport, Exeter. Portsmouth as well, I think they they came before they sold it to the uh, the Disney Swindon Town. At the moment, yes. and so you look at it and you think, okay, these these groups of fans come together to save their club. For Wolves, what is the point when we ha- when we have wealth beyond our wildest dreams? In theory, is there any for Wolves to have a supporters trust? And is this the reason why, whenever anyone mentions a Wolves supporters trust or Wolves trust, eighteen seventy seven, as you are? Well, what is the point? A couple of points, first and foremost. Towson got fantastic owners. We're in the best position we've been in for 40 years. We're a football club that um, has vast amounts of money invested in it. Uh, we're in the Premier League. Uh, we're doing really well. Wolves fans of a certain vintage, Stu, only have to go back to 1982. That's yep. as far as they need to go back. And that's when we went into liquidation. For the first time, the main reason why we, why we, why the supporters' trust was set up was one of the reasons for it. Behind it was fans are constant. Players come, players go. Managers come, managers go. Owners come, own, owners go. Thousand of the third set of owners who've owned Wolves in my lifetime. We've, I think we've been relatively lucky with the people we've had as custodians of Wolves. But if you've got anybody on here who was around in 1982, 84, 86, because it was a a, a running succession of 
failed owners or people owning the club who had no money or had mon pretended they had money in, in the case of the, the Batty brothers and stuff like that. So one of the reasons why a supporters trust is there is we will always be here, you know. Whether it is going up to Carlisle in League One or Crawley Town in League One or going and watching us play Besiktas away or, 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 or Olympiakos in Europe, the reason why the supporters' trust is vitally important is, one, we'll always be here and we always want a football club to be here. But the whole idea of the supporters' trust, and, and definitely at this moment in time, is, is not for us to own or take any part ownership of a football club. But what we have seen over the last few years is that what we want to be able to do is make sure that fans have a voice with the football club. Because I think we've got, you know, international owners from China. Um, I think we're in the Premier League. I think it's sometimes easier to look at a balance sheet rather than your, your fan base. And, you know, since we've been in the Premier League, a couple of things that have been raised to us through the trust, that year-on-year -year price increases in terms of mm -hmm. season tickets and match day tickets. And also one thing that I think is becoming even bigger, and I'll talk a little bit in a bit, Stu, about our ticketing survey that we've done. One thing that we didn't expect as much response about, and the ticketing survey is going to be launched next week in terms of uh, findings and stuff like that, and we're having conversations with the club uh, around the outcome of that ticketing survey, is actual people's concern about the facilities at Molyneux. I love our stadium. I I think it's a unique, a absolutely unique football stadium in today. You know, there's not many like it. City centre, bang middle in the town, um, you know, of a certain vintage, you know, sides don't all match up. It's not a bowl on a retail park or anything like that. I think Molyneux a special football ground. If I wasn't a Wolves fan, I would say Molyneux, the city ground, St. James's Park, you know, those type of stadiums are quite rare now. And, yeah, I, and something that's been raised with us is actually the facilities are falling way behind. We're, the club are currently doing a process of sort of benchmarking on ticket prices and stuff like that. But they're benchmarking us against clubs that have better facilities than we do. But they're saying, mm. well, this is what, say, Leicester charge. This is what, um, this is what Leeds United charge. This is... And there is evidence to show that actually their stadia is in better condition than ours. You only have to take a little look at Molyneux at the moment to see that, the you know, certain parts of the ground, the paint's peeling away and stuff like that. And anybody who sits in the Steve Bullupper will absolutely know that you have to leave 10 minutes before half-time if you want to go and have a piddle. Because or it, it, it's a stand that was built in 1978, 77, 78. It's, it's over 40 years old. If if some, if some a football club of Wolf stature wanted to build a stand today of that design, it would never be, be approved. No. It would never be given a safety certificate. So coming back to your question, Stu, about why a supporters' trust is needed. One, I don't think Fosun are bad owners. I don't, I, I don't at all. I think they've made some mistakes, but... Overall, they've been excellent owners. They could sell Wolverhampton Wanderers tomorrow if they wanted to. Um, and they could sell them to 
uh, they could sell them to uh, the guy Vincent Tan, for example, who owns Cardiff City, who changed the shirt colour because his favourite colour was red. You could end up having the football club, you know, it probably won't happen, but you could end up in a, in a berry situation where they had a guy who just wanted to buy the land effectively and do yeah. that. That nearly happened to Wolves. That's what practically nearly happened with Wolves in the 1980s. So a supporters trust really is one, to give fans a voice. Two, obviously to consult with the club. Because you know what? Sometimes the people who work for Wolves, and this is no criticism of any individual who works for the club, but I've met with lots of different people in this role as being chair of the supporters trust. Really good, really committed to their jobs. Some of the best in the business. They're not Wolves fans. They're there to do a job. So I think having a fan's voice and a fan's input into that is important. Where these supporters trusts, many we're one of the last Premier League clubs to have a supporters trust. We only set it up two years ago. And a lot of issues in terms of what we'll come on to talk about in a bit about fan advisory board. You mentioned the white paper on football that's currently going through um, about football governance and stuff like that. Some of this is in reaction to six clubs in our own league deciding that they wanted to create a European Super League. No promotion, no relegation, money-driven, right? They didn't care about Wolves. They didn't care about any of the pyramid. They didn't care. They just thought about their own greed. And one thing that I think has happened in football in the last 20, 30 years, particularly with the Premier League, is that millions of pounds have been made and I think football fans are being fleeced for their money. I think yeah. I think I think we're being fleeced. The other thing I would say as well, Stu, as well, from a wider aspect of all football fans, is we are treated much differently to any other type of sports fan. You can go to Edgebaston yeah. Cricket Ground and have a pint and watch the cricket. You could go to Gloucester Rugby or Leicester Tigers, stand there and have a pint. Now, I'm not saying I want to see drinking back on the terraces or anything like that, but we're treated differently because of the sport we follow. For example, if you jump on a couch to go to Nottingham next <laughs> Saturday, you are not, by law, allowed to have a, a beer. But if you were driving on a coach, leaving from the same car park, going to Leicester Tigers Rugby, you could drink as much as you wanted. It's things like this where football fans are treated differently. So the supporters trust... For every supporters trust, there's an umbrella organisation called the Football Supporters Association. And there's and by being a member of the Wolves 1877 Trust, you are a member of the FSA. If you are a football fan and you get yourself into trouble at a football game, and it might not be that you've done anything wrong, you might be that person on the divide and there's a goal scored and you somehow end up being pushed across the divide, which I've seen happen to people, you know, happen. I've also seen those people being arrested and taken out of ground. Now, if you've done nothing wrong, you've done, you know, and you get arrested and you, there's a potential for, for court and legal action as well, the FSA will actually support you with legal costs and stuff like that. So, and then there's all the other things the FSA do, talking with the Premier League, talking with the government, looking about how things are done. I think we also get a raw deal as football fans as well, where for the benefit of Sky and their broadcast deal, um, you know, recently Wolves fans ended up travelling up to St James's Park for a 4.30 kickoff on a Sunday evening with no public transport to get home or limited public transport to get home. 
uh, and an absolutely, you know, completely inconvenient time for football fans, personally. But we were never thought of or consulted of when they, those broadcast deals were done and when those things were set. Now, we could argue the reason why we've got the football team we've got today is partially because of the 140-odd million Wolves receive through TV money. But fans were never considered as part of that at all. And we're never given any consultation. Why do Wolves have to play Newcastle? Probably one of the furthest, furthest games, you know, travel-wise for our supporters to do. Why is that automatically put at 4.30pm on a Sunday evening? I mean, with that one, I mean, you don't, it's annoying, but for you don't particularly mind it if it's not all the time. But the, I think the thing with this one was, it was the fourth year in a row that Newcastle away had been moved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so things like this, really. So we look at our football club, but there's also the umbrella about it as well. Every Premier League mm-hmm. club currently, and I, and I think it's something like 19 out of the 24 in the championship have a support, an independent supporters trust. Wolves were really like we were really late to the party because we had a fans parliament, but there was problems with that fans parliament. It was very selective. The club decided who really was on it, and if you were a dissenting voice or somebody who was too overly critical, as soon as you didn't, you know, your term was up, you're off it. Basically, it's a close shop. Any Wolves fan can join the supporters trust. Anyone Wolves fan can have a say in who who who's the chair. I'm, I just happen to be the chair, but if people, the members of the supporters trust, decide, Dan. Thanks a lot. No longer want you to be chair. I'm no longer chair. We're completely democratic, independent as well. We work with the club. Of course, we have to work with the club. There's no point being the sort of, you know, at the gate, chucking things at the club saying, you're rubbish at this, you're rubbish at that. We want to work with the football club um, because at the end of the day, that's my passion. That's my Saturday or Sunday 4.30 passion is, is Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. I want the best for my football club. I want to be able to say to Wolves that, you know, if they make something, you know, a bad decision, something something that's wrong, I want to be able to be in a position where we can have that voice and tell them that. At the same time, I'm quite happy to turn around and say, do you know what, football club, you've got that absolutely spot on. And an example of that is, and as a supporters trust, we can actually, the FA Cup games last season were affordable, good atmosphere as a result. We played, uh, I think it was Sheffield United and Norwich, was it, from memory? sellouts because they did a reasonably priced ticket and made it a family day out. We came out as a supporters trust straight away and, and went, you got that spot on. Other things that the football club have done in terms of season ticket pricing, rebranding certain parts of the ground as executive seating. <laughs> like, you know, if you're a Billy Wright upper season ticket holder, you've got the same plastic seat that you had five years ago, but you're paying about £300 more for yeah, it. I mean, I've got it here. I mean, in 2018, 2019, I mean, my, I mean, it literally says here, <laughs> J4, Rose Ed, you can come and find me, you can come and attack yeah. me if you want. Um, when we got promoted, my season ticket was 474 quid. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, fine. This season, <laughs> it was 686. Doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, I know that world's completely fucked anyway, but for like you, you'll say that as a club like this and we don't need the money he doesn't contribute to that much in terms of overall income streams does it yet we, until they change we, it all we had to look at the club's accounts and we had a, an accountant somebody who actually knows what they're looking at look at it and a couple of things that we thought out wolves match day revenue is worth 13 million pounds 
We get £142 million there or thereabouts in TV money. They make X amount of million pounds from selling shirts, merchandise, sponsorship, advertisement. Wolves match day revenue from last season was the same that we spent in agents' fees. <laughs> that, that's the headline that's come out of us looking at the accounts. And we've, we've done a ticketing price survey. As a trust, we've been unashamedly, we are asking for a 0% rise in season yeah. prices. I do not think there's any justification for the football club to do it. I don't want to give anything away from the survey because we're going to announce that later this week, Stu, and I'm not sure when this is coming out, whether it'll pre-exist or anything like that. But the vast majority of people have gone down the same line. As a supporters trust, we have around 100 members. We have had over 900 people because we, we, we gave our members the first opportunity to take part in the survey. But to get that impact and that wider understanding of one, what the trust is, two, but get a wider audience so the, the club would take notice of what we what we are saying and what we what we've done, we opened it up to the wider fan base, which is only right. And we had over nine hundred uh, responses. Bearing in mind that we have a very limited mailing list, we got practically not far off the same amount of responses that the club have had on match day experience and stuff like that. The club have got something like a 50,000 mailing list. Our percentage proportion in terms of response rate was around the same as the club. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's ticketing. It's controversial. Nobody wants to see their ticket price go up. Um, but I see an issue there where Wolves fans are paying their hard-earned cash during a cost-of-living crisis, um, during lots of different things where money is tight and things like that. And literally the same amount of money that, that we're paying to go and watch and have our entertainment is practically going out of the game to third-party people who are literally just negotiating the contracts of the players, taking their cut, don't put any money into the game and have, you know, in my opinion, very limited regulation. Yeah. And this, <laughs> I mean, we've all seen this for the for the audio listeners, the, uh, the mock-up of Vinnie Clark when he took over that role. Um, as well, dandy highwayman in um, a nice way of putting it, but it is daylight robbery, like you say, it's daylight robbery, and things I, need I, to happen. And it I, doesn't surprise it doesn't surprise me at all that you just said. I mean that that as that number has shocked me because yeah. I know I I know how many followers you have, you have on Twitter. And I know like, what I was speaking to before when, when I've mentioned the Walls Trust or Supporters Trust or Walls Trust eighteen seventy seven. No one's got a clue. No one has any idea, and this isn't you. You you're not sponsoring this podcast. Let's just put this. Uh, you're not. This was my idea to get you on here to talk about it because it, it's important, and I just want more people to understand that this is actually out there for them. And yeah, that I number mean, that number has shocked me. It, 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 I'm it, shocked. It's something that we spotted and the account, you know, we looked through it. We had a guy look at it who deals with accounts and stuff like that. And he basically said, that's what it is. And it shocked us as well, to be honest. Um, and it's something that we're, we're going to put in, in terms of, you know, looking at, at, at raising with the club effectively. Where's your justification? I just want to make something very clear to you here that Vinnie Clark, I've, I've had conversations with Vinnie, right? Yeah. Um, I think he's very, um, he's got a job to do. He's been brought in by the club to do it. 
the decisions on season ticket prices and, and things like that are not made by Vinnie Clark necessarily. He, he no. gets given a budget that he has to say he has to raise. That's much harder. I think he's used as a scapegoat personally. I've, I've had conversations with him. I've raised things with him. He's very amicable. He's very happy to take on board my points of view. Uh, and sorry, my partner's putting her hand up going, how long are you going to be for dinner? Sort of thing. <laughs> sorry about that. Not long, sweet. <laughs> but, but in terms of... Um, in terms of Vinny, sort of thing like that, he's got a job to do. I think, I think, I, I don't think it's helpful sometimes because Vinny is the front man for those decisions. It's a bit like Jez Moxie. Jez Moxie used to get a lot of criticism, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot to criticise about Jez and stuff like that. At the end of the day, Sir Jack Haywood and Steve Morgan were the owners of the football club, and he said, "You need to make this pay. Yeah. This is how you need to do." You know, and he had a job to do. I think Vinny's in the same position with that. So I get the whole daylight robbery mask and stuff like that. I, I think it's a bit unfair on him as an individual. I think, I think it, I think it's a higher power that that that, that has that decision making. For example, I had a conversation with him, and don't mind saying this about the season ticket prices and stuff like that. Um, for next season, the club were non-committal one way or the other. One of the reasons was they, they said, rightly so, they don't know what league we're going to be in. Um, but the other thing was, I don't think he's been given, been told what he can or can't do, personally. I think he reports upstairs to, to Jeff Shee, and I think there's a balance sheet there. But there's a couple of other things. You know, we have spent the best part of probably nearly £200 million in the last two transfer windows. We've, we've paid one manager off. We've paid a director of a so-called, you know, sporting director, whatever Scott Sellers' role was, off. I don't think Fosun or Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club are short of money at this moment in time. And I don't think they're that short where they could bring in... I think they could put on a balance sheet that they are going to freeze it. The other thing as well, Stu, about the season ticket prices that I think is a really important one. We are the only Premier League club who've had who have announced year on year price increases over the last three years, including the years obviously taking out the year we lost to COVID and stuff like that. For the last three years where supporters for the whole season have been allowed to ground, we are the only Premier League club that's had year on year price increases. So this is something that we want as a supporters trust to take as our issue. It's our bread and butter. It's it's our money. There are bigger things out there. Um, you know, we'll talk about fan advisory board at some point. I'm sure about the reason behind that and stuff like that. But as a supporters trust, we we do not want to be. We want to talk about the issues that matter to you, Wolves fans. You know, whether that's stuff on the pitch. We're having our AGM in a few weeks' time. It's more of a social. Jody Craddock is our trust president. And I'm really pleased Jody got on board and said he'd be the trust president and stuff like that. Um, we're having him along to do a QA and a with fans. We have got other, some business to do. You know, we do have to elect members of the board. We do have to tell people how much money the trust makes. We charge £5 for membership for the year. We're doing some things with the membership as well um, that will be announced on our Facebook at a later point. We're trying to make it more affordable for people to join and be part of the trust and stuff like that. We'll have a feed, you know, feed into the into the trust and stuff like that. It's £5 for the year. Um, and the money doesn't pay anybody a salary or anything like that. The money stays in the trust. Um, you wouldn't believe how expensive it is to run a website. You wouldn't believe how oh, well. expensive things like posters and leaflets and things like that. Every bit of money that is, is generated for the membership 
is kept in the trust. It doesn't go out on on fancy parties or paying people wages or anything like that. I I I make no money out of the trust whatsoever. Nobody does. We do it completely voluntary, you know, um, and that's why we do it. I do it because I care one about my football club, care about how my football clubs run, and I care that I believe, you know, football fans. I think we get a raw deal and deal in terms of our voice being heard. Yeah. Very well said. And I will say on the, the video thing as well, we did say on the um, when the prices were announced last year and when they changed it to nine months direct debit from six, we did praise Vili on there. And he, yeah, he, does say, he does seem to be one of the people who, like you said, he's spoken to you, which people at the club in the last, say, five years previously wouldn't have done that. Yeah, it does seem like he's got a sense of humor as well, which is oh, he has a sense of humor, believe me. Which um, I'm more than happy. I mean, I've posted that picture on Twitter, it goes around every year, and no doubt it'll go around anyway this year. Yeah, but my, my, I mean, like the club have set up several sorts of fan, uh, uh, sort of fan focus groups one on ticketing, one on match day experience, one on merchandise, one on equality and diversity and stuff like that. And the Supporters Trust has a seat on each of those. So we've, we we were given access quite early on and stuff like that. I sit on the ticketing one. I have chats with Vinny. One of the things I actually raised was around the direct debit scheme being six months. thought it was ridiculous. also thought it was ridiculous that it charged uh, an administration fee. Yeah. Um, and to be fair to the club, we raised it. They got rid of it. You know, that's one of the things. But I would say this now that, you know, not that about us, you know, necessarily had we been set up as a supporters trust, but if fans hadn't said that, the club would have carried on doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's important that, that fans have that voice and that input. One thing I would say, though, is that club management, they're human beings. They get a lot of stick on, on, on social media and stuff like that. They're quite nervous about meeting outside structures of the football club in terms of, so we've asked sort of, uh, senior members of Wolfstaff if they want to come to a board meeting of the trust. You know, quite happy to have, have them to come on. Not been taken up because I think they're concerned about having abuse or, or something like that, which isn't the case. You know what I mean? I think the vast majority of Wolves fans are, you know, genuinely decent people, don't abuse people. Uh, and you know what? They're happy to listen to an argument. You might not necessarily agree with it, but you're happy to listen to it and do it in a respectful way. You, you, of course, you'll get the occasional idiot who will say something. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know. yeah, I mean that that direct debit change saved me from having to give my season ticket up this year. Yeah, because I was in I was in that position. I didn't expect the amount to go up as big as much as it did. Yeah, um, and so I, I I budgeted like so. I mean. Some people say, yeah, well, if you can't afford that, then you shouldn't really be going. But that's irrelevant. I, I expected it to go up, but I didn't expect it to go up by that much. Yeah. The nine months thing and cancelling the fees, like you said, which was ridiculous, no need. It saved me. I mean, I even put it, I'd said this might be my last game, which was last season, which would have been terrible. Um, and I've budgeted accordingly this year. If they go back to six months, which I don't think they ever will now, because nah, I think that's done now. The precedent set, it works. They get the money in. Everyone knows where they are, and I think it just it just helps people out. And, and like you said, from what you said with your accountant, looking at the numbers and the figures, that not saying they don't need the money, but they're not 
reliance on the money like someone like Exeter would be or someone yeah. just off the top of my head, I mean, something like that. I mean, like literally, like if you look at the broadcast deal, what it's worth for championship clubs, it's worth about 13 to 15 million. In the Premier League, we get 142 million. So there's a massive disparity there. So those clubs, like if we're in the championship and, you know, the match day revenue becomes a much more important source of income in the Premier League with that TV deal, you know, I think as fans, we should be given a rebate for having to travel to Newcastle at 4.30. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, if they're going to give the club so much money, you know, and, and things have happened, like, you know, capping on away ticket prices and stuff like that, all really good, good stuff. Idea. But, you know, and Wolves aren't the most expensive football club. You know, I get being told all the time when I ask for a price freeze, we benchmark against other football clubs in the Premier League. We are one of still one of the cheapest. You know, Man City might charge £200 for 10 seats in an awful area, um, which gives them one of the cheapest season tickets. But the vast majority of their season tickets are around, you know, a little bit more than ours. You know what I mean? Well, we get that. Like the, the club use benchmarking a lot and stuff like that. But I, I have concerns over that benchmarking. I'm not sure who they're benchmarking us against. I'm not sure... Um, whether the facilities of that stadium, because as, as I earlier said, you know, if we look at our, our stadium, you know, um, I think if you're a Steve Bullock, a season ticket holder, um, you know, I think every day you go to watch a Wolves game, you're transported back to 1978 because the facilities in that stand have not been updated, really. The toilets are the same. It's cramped, uh, you know, um, you have to leave early and stuff like that. Again, you know, a massive price increase in the Billy Wright stand. Um, you know, also, by the way, the club did it and it didn't get as much criticism as I thought it would get, but but they absolutely hammered um, sort of senior citizens' rates. You know, if you were a concession rate, it went from being 50% of the normal match day price up to, I think, uh, I think it was about 70%. So it was a big, they had a massive increase in one go. That could have been done. Over two or three seasons, that could have been done, mm. but they did it in one big hit. Um, so, yeah, there's the, you know, don't get me wrong, and I'll, I'll come back to it. This is the most successful Wolves team for the last 40 years, most successful Wolves team in my lifetime. You know, you've got to balance that with actually, you know, the money that we, you know, we're giving up as fans and stuff like that. Stuart, you know, breaks my... I know how long you've supported that football club. I know how long you've been going. You go home and away. You'd have to give your season ticket up. I think that's an absolute travesty, personally. Well, it it wasn't just me saying it, even though there was a lot no, of people on Twitter. No, I, to be fair, they, there was a lot of people who DM'd me as well, which never happens. I mean, I, I'll leave them open for abuse because it's fun sometimes because <laughs> I'm a sadist. Um, but there was a lot of people who DM'd me saying, this is a disgrace. Is there nothing you can do? And I went, well, I'm going to borrow money here and there. But that's not really the point, is it? It's, no. it's a cash flow um, problem. Which is, and this, which is the other thing as well. this is the other thing as well. And, and I know this is, this is I'll probably be my most controversial comment of the night that I'll make. The club know that people will make those sacrifices. The club know that people will do things, sell things to make sure that they go to that football. You know, I know people who sit by me that don't have a family holiday each year. Their only leisure is going to Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. You know, people yeah. will go without stuff to come. I don't necessarily think that's fair. 
One thing as well, I don't think the club appreciate, and we've got a wide fan base, you know, we have fans come from all over the country and, and, and to some extent all over the world. I get that. Do we really want to be a tourist club? Do we want to be a football club yeah. where people in the streets around Molyneux cannot afford to go to? Wolverhampton is one of the most deprived cities in the UK. You only have to look around the city centre, go around Heathtown, go around Wentzfield, go around Blayton or Bilston, Willenhall, you know, even parts of South Staffordshire, Featherstone, places like that, more wealthier areas. You can see poverty, you see issues. And I think as a football club, they have some responsibility to their local population in terms of, you know, it's great having people come from America. It's great having people coming from China. It's great people travelling from all over the UK to come and watch a football game in Wolverhampton. But you've got to remember your local fan base, you know. And I, and I think there's, I think I think there's a moral issue there as well as anything. But yeah, but the club's a business at the end of the day. But as I've alluded to earlier, we are a tiny, tiny amount of money at this moment. If we get relegated next season, completely different ball game, by the way, in terms of how much the revenue is and stuff like that. We get parachute payments, but I, you know, I think at this moment in time, I, I my general view is is that we're paying. The, uh, the going right and I don't think it should be anymore and that's why as a supporters trust we've called for a, we're calling for a zero percent rise this year so if you agree with me and you know I'm talking out to people now the best thing you can do to help us try and get a zero percent rise is join the supporters trust because the club will take more notice of us the more Wolves fans join the trust so Fiverr we're going to look at different ways, by the way, of making it more affordable for people because I know even a fiver sometimes is quite difficult for people at times and stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's my pitch to you guys, really. Um, and and you know, if you want to get more information, you can go on our website www.wolves1877trust.co.uk. Have a look what we're about, some of the reports we do, some of the things that we do as a trust. We're not the biggest organisation in the world. We're absolutely reliant on volunteers and stuff like that. But I don't think we've done too badly in the last 12 months, personally. So, yeah. And that leads on to the sort of fan advisory board, Stu, really. I'm happy to talk about that. Yeah, it's been, like I said before, from from nowhere to getting noticed and for people at the club to listen to you and for you to be able to put your point across. I mean, it, it's not like you, you, <laughs> you can't speak um, in a public place. <laughs> we, we, we said that you... Um, We'll go into your political stuff in a bit, but just give you seven seconds for the video, people, to just breathe a minute, Daniel. Just yeah, breathe. Thanks. Sorry, I can have a little, <laughs> have a little, have a little drink. Calm down, and then we'll talk. We're back in a minute. We'll talk about the briefly about the white paper because it's no one really cares, um, but it's important to why the fan advisory panel exists. So uh, for everyone else, we'll be back in a sec. Wrong button, but... Gifting is hard. This isn't news. But what might be news is that you can now send beer, wine, and spirits right to your friends and family with Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Save time shopping, save money comparing prices across stores, and spend more time sipping with your gifties. Now that's good news. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. There's the right button. 
so the white paper. I mean, did was this white paper thing, which is just the name of it? It's not the official name. It's just what it's been called. Did this? I mean, the talk about the the Bundesliga uh, fifty one or fifty plus one thing. Uh, years and then the Super League, like you mentioned earlier, which there's a brilliant documentary on Sky Documentaries or through other other means that you can find it um, about this called I think it was Greed or something like that. Just look Sky Documentaries. It was superb. They had they had loads of people. They even had Infantino on there, and Sefran on there. Classic. The whole thing was a joke. You could argue, yeah, them lot should have fucked off into their own little playground and left us all. <laughs> Yes. It's like Scotland, but the whole thing. I think they, the way that everyone rose up against them, their own fans rose up against them and showed, no, we're not doing this. We're not being part of this nonsense. And now you're seeing it with what they're talking about with the Club World Cup 32 team bonanza every four years. Which where's that going to fit into the schedule? Where's the players going to when they're going to have a rest? There's a whole load of bollocks and nonsense, which. I know that fan, like actual football stuff you're not allowed to be a part of, I presume, is part of this um, the advisory panel thing, the advisory board. But it's the wider thing because more games, more games. Where, where are these games going to be played? They're going to be played in the Middle East, in China. Where is the local fans from Bermondsey or wherever? Where, where are they going to go? <laughs> They're not going to be there. It's not for them. That's the point again. So... You get the government government interference in football is banned from FIFA point of view, but this is different. This seems to be an independent regulator for common sense more than anything else. I think is that fair? Yeah. Um, um, so it comes from the Super League idea, the rebellion from it. Uh, the government, uh, to, to be honest, it's not just the government. It's I think every single opposition party have signed up to it as well. They understood that there needs to be something to govern football. It's a bit of a loose cannon. Can do what it wants sometimes, uh, you know, in terms of you know what they want to do and stuff like that with it. And I think they saw an opportunity. You know, politicians, uh, they they want votes off you. They want votes off me. They want votes off all of you. Everyone watching this tonight. They saw a problem and they've come up with a sort of a, a potential solution for certain issues. So the white paper will is going through the houses of Commons at the moment. It's going for the Lords and stuff like that. It will set up an independent regulator, but it also gives a role for independent supporters trusts where the potential is nothing certain yet because it's part of going through the process of parliament and it's a bit boring, but you know, it can get changed and stuff like that. One of the things that would be really good is a golden share. It's called a golden share. And the golden share is then old held by the supporters trusts. And it gives supporters trusts some say or a veto over certain things happening, such as a stadium being moved, a club shirt colour being changed. Um, in certain times, if the club's finances are in trouble, you know, supporters' trusts would be given an option of, of, of having further input. So it gives the supporters' trusts quite a unique position. So say, for example, if Fosun turn around tomorrow, it might be a controversial for some, might not be less controversial for others, but they say they wanted to move the football club to the I-54 retail park, new 50,000-seater stadium, 
supporters just could consult with fans, see what they really what what the fan base wanted, and if the fans wanted to start Molyneux, we could potentially use the detail. Potentially, that's the most easiest way for me to explain it. There will be lots of loopholes and stuff like that, and I'm sure it's going to be a far more complex. The Premier League are lobbying the government like mad not to bring in the golden share. And there's a reason, isn't there? There is a reason, because they do not want interference. You only have to hear what David Sullivan, the owner of West Ham United, was saying about the government and independent regulation. They don't want it because... They're on a good one at the moment, you know, that most Premier League clubs can make a profit, um, you know, uh, are profitable. There's lots of money to be made out of out of the Premier League and stuff like that. And as I said earlier in my earlier statements, I think football fans, we get a raw deal at the moment and they want to continue on with the gravy train effectively. Um, this is where the fan advisory board came in because the Premier League wanted to show to the government that they were capable of regulation and they were capable of giving fans a voice. So they brought in a rule change which said every Premier League club had to set up a fan advisory board. Now, I'm going to caveat this for one second because if we look at the issues with Man City at the moment where they are being, you know, are being looked into for potential rule breaking and stuff like that, the first time that set of rules was broken was 2009, <laughs> right? And this runs up to 2019. So the Premier League talk about regulation and keeping the house in order. They are looking at issues that took place in 2009 and only now looking at those rule breaking. Is this really something that can really keep its house in order? Do you, do you know what I mean? So coming back to the fan advisory board, the fan advisory board is a massive step in the right direction massive because what it does and how Wolves have set this up is those focus groups I talked about earlier ticketing uh, merchandise uh, equality and diversity match day experience they will all get one representative from those fan groups any fan can apply to join those focus groups if you're interested in ticketing if you're interested in merchandise if you're interested in match day experience you can go apply to the club get involved How then those but they are limited in terms of the numbers of people that are allowed on those groups, and and they are heavily regulated by by the trust by the club, sorry, as well. So you know, if you go on there, you're saying too much stuff that the club don't like to hear. You might not be asked to come on the next year. The club have got that control over it. Where the other thing about the the other seat on the fan advisory board is the Wolves 1877 Trust seat. Which, which which we will decide who sits on that. So as members of the Support Trust, we will vote our representative onto that board. So we'll have one seat on the Fan Advisory Board, which will be completely independent. Now, the people who go on there, they can raise their, you know, be elected from, the, from these different focus groups. They can have their own views. They can raise their own opinions and stuff like that. But from an outside point of view of club control, we are in full control of that. Yeah, so that's that's really a really positive step forward. So we've set up a fan advisory board. It will effectively look at certain things with the club are doing, whether it be match day ticket pricing, whether it be stadium redevelopment, whether it be the finances, and give an outside view and a look and some scrutiny to the club, basically. Something that currently doesn't exist. If Jeff Shee wanted to paint them on a new blue and white tomorrow, he could. Do you know what I mean? Not that it would, it'd be a stupid thing to do, but it could do that theoretically. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, 
basically, um, there would be some control. One of the other good things, Stu, that's come in with this is that they're talking about historical items of the football club, certain things that will get pinned down of the fan advisory board has to be consulted on. Something that's been quite topical at the Trust has been about our shirt colour. We wear gold and black, but we have different shades of gold. Well, many, many different shades of gold. Yeah, that's a perfect. So what we were saying was, well, actually, should, can we not try and nail down a, 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 a you know, a more specific colour of what is a wool shirt and stuff like that? And don't get me wrong, it will cause massive debate because some people will look at the Goodyear shirt, the Dorito shirt, and go, "That's our colour." Some people will look at the Manbet, man, man, uh, the Manbet one below, and go, "That's our colour." You know, the, there's 20 different shades of wool's old gold that could be used and stuff like that. So it's a little bit more easy. But things like the the clock that's on the South Bank, I mean, that's the third stand that, that clock's been been part of, sort of thing. So you know, it it's it, um, it's it, it, you know, but it's making sure that those items are given the protection that they need. For example, when West Ham moved from their ground, and I'm not bashing West Ham here or anything like that, but they had the John Lyle Gates. Remember the John Lyle Gates outside the old Bling ground, like that. Do you know what they did with them when they I moved? I presume they scrapped them. No, they didn't. But they put them in the club shop. As a, <laughs> and literally, they have shirts hanging off them. And that's quite a historical sort of, you know... Yeah, it's a nice, nice... Something that, for West Ham fans, I mean, John Lyle was a player, manager and stuff like that. But like that was his commemoration. And yet they just put them in the club shop as a sort of second afterthought, really. You know, things like that, really. Stadium redevelopment, really important. So the Fan Advisory Board, to come out... Um, it. it I don't think football fans, as a general rule, we, we want to turn up, watch 90 minutes of football and be entertained. I get what I'm talking about. For some, it's boring, pointless, and they don't really take it. But it has a wider impact, you know, mm-hmm. on... And you don't always realise the impact that it has. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, looking at looking at it there on the... On the wall, this, this stuff's on the Wolves website as well. Dan's not just making all this stuff up from his, his dream yeah. world. Um, when it says they had about 25% mandatory rotation on the fan advisory board every three years, I presume that's the independent ones and not you guys. Yeah, we decide ours. So again, though, so that falls into my, and I don't want to bash this idea and I don't want to, the people going onto those, that fan advisory board um, from, from the focus groups, I'm sure they'll be absolutely excellent at doing what they do and they will do it the right way. Um, our representative, whoever we decide to elect at the AGM, will be the right person for, for, for the role. But if you're in those trust positions, sorry, if you're in those club positions, you literally get a three-year term effectively and then you move on. Now, some people would say that's a good thing. Some people would say that's a bad thing because, you know, again, it falls into that. If I'm saying things that are awkward or if I'm asking too many questions, you know, the rotations there and stuff like that. Um it's an interesting one because sometimes people stay in positions too long as well. You know, the Americans have got a, a term limit on presidents for a reason. You know what I mean? You do your eight years if you get re-elected after four and you're out and you get a new somebody new in. You know, the, 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 that, 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 there's some benefits to that. But continuity, I think, is also important, especially in that. And especially if we're going through, through you know, looking at trends with a football club as well. You know, mm-hmm. if we were to go back to Wolves... Um, five years ago, it'd be a completely, you know, five, six years ago before we got 
before facing together, it, it's completely unrecognisable, you know, in terms of yeah. the backroom operations of the football club, that how we are, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, a bit, I was going to say a bit unrecognisable. I mean, you, you only have to look at the that from a visual point of view more than anything else, what you talked about with shirt colour. How can you go from that one, from the promotion shirt, the man, the money shop one, to the, the current one that you've got on now, which almost looks piss yellow on this video? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. when when they said that was another thing, I'm sure there are reds somewhere. When we came up with a bit with my favourite one ever, other than the um the 95 embroidered nutmeg town crest one, is the W88 shirt. I love yeah. that one. The colour was it, it was very yellowish from what we'd been used to with all that stuff in the the nineties and two um, thousands, um, but it was spot on. It worked, and then they went for the the European one with all the dots on and ruined it all. And which then went back. I hated that shirt. I didn't buy it. I really hated it. The Mambex one, the W eight eight one, classic. That'll be like up there with the the Doritos one. And some of the ones that you've got up there uh, on your back wall, street, sort of thing like that. And I think it's important, really, that 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 you know, like for example, the WA8 one was based on a one-off shirt the Wolves wore in the 1950s in one of the floodlight games that was on television, and they wore that colour because it would show better in black and white television. So yeah, that that is- was the that was the background to why that colour was picked for that year, sort of thing like that. And it's interesting because the, the old gold colour has changed. If you were a fan from the 70s, you would look at a different colour to what we're wearing today, even the 80s, the 90s, or or even five, six or seven years ago. But yeah, it's things like that, like shirt colours, they are important. They're a part of our identity. Badges, I've just went there because I was looking at the camera, Stu, on, on this, but the badge and stuff like that, as is it. Ultimately, from a branding point of view, our badge is perfect. However, theoretically, an owner at the moment, if they chose to, could change our badge tomorrow. Things like that need to have consultation with fans and stuff like that. For me, this is the Wolves badge now. And in my lifetime, there's been this one, the one we did around the millennium, which was sort of very 90s. And then we also, yeah, 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 the, the, you know, Wolves FC, well, you know, the, the, the big yeah. sort of ba- big bold badge type thing. Uh, and then obviously we had the city coat of arms. I personally would only want to see the city coat of arms on our shirts if we ever got dreaming of the day we get to an FA Cup. But I would love to see the city coat of arms put on our shirts if we played an FA Cup final. I think that would be, I think that would be, be, because that would take us back to like 1960, the last time we did it. I think that would be something really good. That's the only time I want to see this badge ever off a wolf shirt. I mean, I remember that there was a period in the like mid to mid 20 teens or whatever that period of time was called, where clubs suddenly had badges on the back of the neck. And like, I know yeah. that Liverpool have got the, um, the Hillsborough tribute on theirs. I don't know if there's anything in the rules of having two different badges because they can't be surely because they've got that. So I wouldn't mind having the coat of arms there. Yeah, I, I don't know. Nice I think the club would have to look at whether the council, because it's probably trademarked, something like that. Mm. Um, fun, funny one, little story about like sort of club badges and stuff. Like that. I was reading a, a book about uh, club badges a few, few years ago. And our nearest and dearest rivals, West Bromwich Albion, 
up until 2006, they'd never trademarked their club badge. <laughs> so anybody in the whole world could go and literally manufacture mugs that were the same in the club shop or shirts or anything like that. It wasn't trademarked. And then about 2007, Albion changed their badge to the current one and trademarked it. They never had it trademarked properly. But the badge is everything that you get seen on a football. You know, it's on Sky, it flashes up when you're having your highlights or if a goal scored. It's what you see coming out. It's what you see on the stadium, stuff like that. that this, is, this is our marketing. This is what, you know, is well, recognisable. Again, like we've talked about Americans kind of in a disparity way, really, but we'll rectify that a bit. I mean, Josh Buckley on the Whole Lot of Walls podcast, he, one of the reasons was, apart from Traore, which is odd, um, one of his reasons was the colours and the badge on FIFA. Yeah. Because it's instant, because of the colour of it, the shape of it, there's nothing around it. It's just a, it's just what it is. There's no I'm other not, badge like it other than I'm Norwich, sh- which is a shit little bird on a perch. Yeah. No one wants that. There's nothing that looks like this. There's nothing at all. I've got to say now, I think, I'm pretty sure it's the only badge that's completely symmetrical. If you chopped it down the middle, it's, you know, it's symmetrical. Because other badges have either a club name on that wouldn't make it symmetrical. Like Norwich, for example, they have like the bird, but then they have the, the town crest, like the crown and the castle in the corner. It's the only one in Britain. I think in, I, I was, again, it was something, I'm not sure if it was European football or, or, or particular British football. It's the only symmetrical badge. From from marketing and branding point of view, it's I mean, of, Wolves, yeah. probably, Wolves probably drawed this up. On a real budget under Sir Jack, it was probably done in a back room and go, oh, that's what we'll do. That's nice and easy and simple sort of thing. It probably co- didn't cost a lot of money to design this. From a branding point of view, now for someone to come up with an idea this unique and this, we, we don't, we won't always, you know, look into this. So it's a bit boring, I suppose, for some people. But <laughs> you pay millions of pounds for this to be created today. Yeah, you would. And and I, I remember when it, when that. When they changed it from the FC thing, which no one really liked anyway. No, um, no. I thought, yeah, it was very much of its time, I think. Yeah, and I remember seeing that on a polo shirt because one of the one of my mates at school, his dad worked at Molyneux and he saw it on a letterhead and, and he bought it into school the next day. I mean, this was in the, so in mid-90s. And that was the FC badge. We thought, what the hell is that? Yeah. And then we, we changed to this one, the current one, and it was again, well, it just looks like a broken 50p. But no one says that now. Now, again, it's like, you know, like perfect, like the wolf's head. I think it was first years in the 1980s, roughly around there. 80, like, yeah, 80 yeah. For the cup final and, and like that was when it was first used, like as like the interior without the rest of the badge and stuff like that. But we've had like leap one leaping wolf, several leaping wolves, um, you know, and then I think you know, this is this is the club's badge now, but I think it needs to be protected because. You know what? I think we're heading into a period of football now where you have to be mega rich to buy a football club. And I think some people who make that type of money see football clubs as play things and they can change things around. You know, Cardiff City fans, Vincent Tan has put his money in, lost a lot of money. Probably, you know, I've got a, I've got a dear friend at work who's a Cardiff City fan. He would argue we've been they've been mismanaged. But he was so up in arms when they were wearing red shirts. Like the club's shirt sales dropped by 90%. Yeah. 
<laughs> because they moved from blue that they'd worn for 110 years to red on on the whim of it's more marketable in Asia and it's the owner's favourite colour because red's a lucky colour in, in in Thailand, stuff like that. Now, you know, we're lucky with our owners at the moment. They've put a vast amount of money into the football club. Um, at some point, though, Stu, they are an investment firm. There will only be so much money that Foson will put into Wolverhampton Wonders before they are unable to make a return on their money. And that's something that I don't think people necessarily understand. I, I mean, my day job, I work with, with work with, people, with with employers, big businesses. I have a, I have a, I'm not wouldn't say I'm a business expert at all. But when you're running a, if you're an investment firm, you want a return on your money, and Fosun will want a return on their money at some point. I I, I believe some of the some of the things that were happening over the last 12 months with them writing off certain parts of the debt and stuff like that. I, I, yeah. I think over the next four to five years, Wolverhampton Wonders will be on the market. Well, because that, that's about putting us in a better financial position to be more attractive to a potential buyer at some point. Yeah. And, yeah, and you, and they change it into equity and shares because then you say, well, there's the money that we've invested. This is how much it's worth. It's yeah. 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 And, and there's something else as well that, Wolves now sit within Fosun Sports, which is a different... I don't like this at all. No, um, it was explained to us as a trust. And basically, effectively, Fosun own the brand and they can use it in their different marketing, whether that's the music, the esports, which is, you know, apparently going to bring us in millions of millions of pounds. <laughs> well, it'll bring Fosun millions upon millions of pounds. It won't yeah. bring Wolverhampton Wonders millions but they're using our badge, our colours, our trademark to do that. And, and yeah, and that's why I think the supporters' trust, coming back to our original question, got good owners, put a lot of money in, it's the best Wolves team I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, did I ever think I'd see the day where Wolves were spending £40 million on players? Did I ever think I'd see the day that we were playing in the Europa League when we were in League One, when we were stuck in mid-table championship? Uh, and I was bumping into you at Rotherham away two days before Christmas, hoping, praying for something like this to happen. But we have to take it with the fact that owners come, owners go. We don't know who we're going to get next. We could have Americans, we could have Russians. And, and the other thing as well is, is that, you know, the world we're in at the moment, and, you know, I don't want to do a Dan, I don't want to do the politics or anything like that. I want to keep this as football as much as possible. Uncertain place, you know, We've got mm-hmm. Russia invading Ukraine, China. The, the, there's, there's bigger games at play here that are more than Wolverhampton Wonders Football Club. If there was a change in policy by the British government tomorrow about Chinese investment in the UK, we wouldn't be exposed. Yeah, like Chelsea were. Like Chelsea were. Look at Chelsea. They went from the Roman Empire, literally having millions and over a billion pounds put into them. To the point where if they are, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're always going to get an owner. They're always going to get a new buyer. They're a big football club. They're branding, everything like that's worth billions of pounds. But if no one had come along and bought them, Chelsea Football Club would have been in serious, serious financial trouble because there's not sustainability to it. And that's something else that I suppose is a long-term trust gain is that, you know, football fans, we do a balancing act. We want success on the pitch. 
We want that big signing. Even when we were at seventh, pushing on fifth in the league at one point, potential Champions League players, we're playing fine. Where's our next £50 million striker? Now, do we need a £50 million striker now? Absolutely. We need a goal scorer, right? But at the time, there was lots of arguments saying, Fosun, you need to spend in January, we'll get in the Champions League, stuff like that. There is issues about sustainability in football and and chasing your losses and making it. I think football needs to become more sustainable. The the money that Chelsea has spent in the last two transfer windows to finish mid-table is obscene. (laughs) And and also from another point of view, there's meant to be financial fairness. There's meant to be financial fair play. I, I think Chelsea will be in the same spot that Man City are in where they're being investigated in the next 12 months. Everton today... Um, we've all been expecting it. We've all been asking the question, what about Everton? They've spent £500 million for mid-table football for the last five years. It was always going to catch up with them at some point. Today, the Premier League of the Nats are investigating Everton Football Club for financial fair play breaches. So there's got to be some fairness there. We got hammered. We, we, we were too successful when we first got promoted to the Premier League. We yeah. should never have got into Europe because if we uh, don't get me wrong, brilliant. Fantastic experience. Molyneux under floodlights, watching us play teams in Europe. Fantastic experience. We were a year too soon because we made such a loss in that championship season. We lost £50 million that year because of the promotion bonuses that we had to play those players. And they put it, you know, it was a big loss that year. And when we got to Europe, they looked at it and went, well, you'll be on the loss. You pay a fine. You have a reduction in the number of players and you have to break even for the next three years. I did think that I think that and COVID probably affected some how much money, probably in Nuno's last year and in probably Bruno Large last year, how much they actually got in the transfer window. That had an impact. But then, since then, we've, you know, I, 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 I don't want to go for all the players that we've signed in the last years, but I've actually been most impressed with the ones that have cost us very little, actually. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much all the time. It's been the same same way yeah. that when Limit. we've actually done our, oh, yeah. our research and not bought Geddes for, for God's sake. That just tells you all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it. Well, and well, it's it's right what you said about the, the championship spend as well because there was the, the thirty nine million over three years thing did count then, and because we yeah. had spent nothing at all, it was very clever how they did it with paying the, the bonuses after the deadline. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, for the, yeah, for no, the accounting year, but even by doing that, I think it was thirteen point eight nine five or something. That we were so far on the limit, we wouldn't have been able to buy anyone else if we hadn't gone up. So they, yeah. they have gambled before; they have they have put the money where they mouth is. So. And, and and January for me was a massive gamble. They rolled the yeah. dice, they've spent some money. I, you know, my theory is that they'll probably need to recoup some money in 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 the summer, and we know which assets. We've got that are disposed, potentially disposable that will bring in a lot of money to to balance up that spending and stuff like that. Ruben Neves moving on some players that have probably been at the club a couple of seasons too long. But then last summer we did a bit of that with certain players and, and I'm not necessarily sure whether that in the long run has, has served as well. Cody at one point, potentially an argument there that we lost a massive leader out of our defence. Uh, Dendonka. Quiet man in the middle of the park, does his business, nothing flashy about him. I think we lost something in the middle of our game, uh, Grand. Uh, sorry, our midfield that caused problems there. Nunes was bought in, played in the wrong position. Yeah. Not really sure he's ever has found his true 
true potential in a wool shirt so far. I've got to be honest, the only game I've seen Mathias Nunes playing that I've said, wow, was against Liverpool, who he keeps being linked with. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit thingy, but I think the squad will probably need a rebuild in the summer, probably, again. But I think it'll have to be funded by by sales. But let's see. Let's see what Fosun do. The other thing I would say, Stu, the one last thing about Fosun is is what will their legacy be at Wolverhampton Wanderers? It, it's an interesting one as well. Because you could argue that Sir Jack's legacy was the Molyneux. Mm-hmm. He built us a, a stadium from, you know, two sides short. One a massive terrace that was probably a death trap, really, in reality, in the <laughs> South Bank. And the Steve Bull stand with, with which was John Ireland at the time with red seats, built us it built us the ground. Steve Morgan has, you know, a legacy at Molyneux. He, yeah, he built stand. He built. He funded a large part of the academy stuff that's let Compton in. So from an infrastructure point of view, I mean, Fosun, I think Laurie Dalrymple when he was managing director, I think he overpromised and potentially that's why he left. Um, because I think they realised how much it was going to cost some of these things. So I think when we spoke to the club about redevelopment of Molyneux, they're looking at meddling around the sides with the Steve Bull stand, uh, doing some realignment to it. But the costs that they were being looked at for a Steve Bull stand redevelopment was something in the region of 120 to £130 million. Pounds. <laughs> It's I mean that thing it that thing is gonna survive nuclear war. Oh we, yeah, we, we, we all know it. I mean it, it absolutely. You, only have to, you only have to look on the Google images and the the shell of the thing. I mean, I've been in there for what twenty five years yeah. and it doesn't bother me anymore how bad and r- ridiculous it is because I'm used to it. It's just one of them things. It's it is what it is. You get used to it in the end. But for it to be built like a missile silo and the, the whole was, subsidence thing. The 70s, and... they, they did yeah. stuff. Like, look at the look at the Civic Centre. Civic, yeah, the I was just going to say. I mean, you know, it's the Kremlin. It's, it was built, <laughs> for the, it's built for the Cold War. You know, I've got to say, Stu, like, it was probably state-of-the-art when it was when it was built. It, it, it's fallen behind. Like, we, we have fallen behind as a football club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Like, we've fallen behind as a football club down facilities. I mean, like, Everton in a few years' time will have, you know, whether they're in the Premier League or not, who knows? They will have a brand new stadium. Leeds United are talking about doing Ellen Road, and they have room around there where they could literally flip Ellen Road round, build to the side of it, and then demolish the current Ellen Road and still have a thousand car parking spaces. Um, there is discussions, you know, look at Tottenham, you know, look at that stadium, that's a phenomenal stadium. I think Molyneux's falling behind, um, you know. I'm a Wolverhampton lad. I'm born and bred here. For me, Molyneux needs to stay. The home of Wolverhampton Wanderers needs to stay at Molyneux. It will be an expensive project to redevelop. I think that the club, by not looking at redevelopment opportunities in the next couple of years, will miss a massive opportunity for the football club. We need to move to the next level. Yeah. We need a bigger stadium. I'm not sure we need a 50,000-seat stadium. I'm not, I'm not oh, sure no, that we would ever fill a 50,000-seat stadium. I recently went to West Ham and sat in the West Ham end. My mate had a spare ticket. It was a Sunday it's afternoon. A, it's a terrible place, that is. It, it isn't great. I've got to be honest. It's not a football stadium, right? But I can tell you now, walking around the home end with a different set of 
glasses on because I'm obviously not a West Ham fan, but I had a spare ticket and I fancied a day out. And I had a walk around and stuff like that. And the amount of fans that are tourists, that's what yeah. fills that stadium. And I probably think it's probably the same at Tottenham as well. Uh, and stuff like that. I'm not sure I want... You know, anyone who says they support Wolves they should be able to go and watch a game of football. I mean, a few years ago, we had a season ticket waiting list of 10,000. Now, yeah, I, I think personally a forty to 45,000 seat stadium would be our limit. And that's only reliant on Premier League football. Um, you know, and I've been and watched, as, as you have, Stu, you know, I've known you, what, over 10 years now, probably yeah, probably 12, 13 years. <laughs> we were going when half of the South Bank was empty at, at times, you know, there was huge gaping gaps in the South Bank and we were getting 18, 19,000 sort of thing. So, you know, it has to be balanced, but I do think, Mullen, I think the Steve Ball stand probably needs to be a higher priority for the club in terms of redevelopment. And if there's ways of doing it, changing the roof, changing the realignment and stuff like that, because the plan was when they did the North Bank was it was to follow around. Because yeah. if you sit in the quadrant, there's the back three rows in the corner. There's about 50 seats there that can never be used because the view is impaired by the roof of the, of the Steve Bull stand. So, it you was, know. It should have been done the other way around, really, shouldn't it, really, in hindsight, but we know I why. Think, I think it was the, remember the old, the, the I'm going to call it the Middle North Bank, because there's the old North Bank, the Stan Cullis yeah. stand that was built by Sir Jack. That had a very weird columns that held the roof up. Do you remember yeah, that? It's, the, it's they, like used the, to, um, they used to have Birmingham Midshires advertised on it for years and years and years. I think that prevented them from doing the Steve Bull first, I think. Yeah, but yeah, well, it was one of it. And then um, the trend end at Forest is built the same way. Yeah. And um, you you would have ended up with, like at Norwich, where you've got the, the roof supports for that, the behind the goal stands, and they've built corner bits behind it. Yeah. And you think, well, hey, I know you're selling them tickets for obviously reduced money, but it looks a bit shit, really. Um, yeah. But if, we are, the- if, we, if it's going to cost them 100 like you just, you literally just said, it's going to cost them over hundred million to demolish the whole nuclear silo and then and build something proper in twenty twenty four, say for argument's sake. If they leave it again, and we are, it's then, going to cost more and more and, and more. We know, and we know that Villa Park is being redeveloped. Well, oh, that's the a, that was the other example I didn't use. Actually, look at Villa yeah. Park. The north stand there has been redeveloped, built in the same time as the steeple, same kind of concrete. Nonsense. They're, do, they're doing it. Did, did you sit in that stand when we had them in the cup and they gave us that end? Yeah. I was amazed. I, I, about I it actually was. thought that that North it's worse. stand that the park was dangerous. Yeah, it's worse. Definitely. Worse than Steve Ball. But I thought it was dangerous because you come straight in and you're on a, a very tight uh, concourse. It was. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was dangerous personally but where was there on the night in question. And I was sort of questioning, well, how's this even survive? Sort of, you know, but, yeah, but I've but got to say now, like, you know, in terms of the stands being there for as long as it's been, but like Villa are looking at their stadium now. And I, I think if we're to preserve ourselves in the Premier League and make sure that we've got a sustainable football club going forward, I think I think Molyneux is a big part of that. Now, it might be easier to go up to the I-54 
and, and build a stadium out there or find another bit of brownfield site somewhere in, in Wolverhampton on the outskirts and, and build a 50,000 seat stadium. Makarno set stadium that will look something like, you know, either what, you know, I think Brighton's a bad example because that's quite unique in many ways. But like, you can go to Coventry, you can go to Derby, you can go to Middlesbrough, you can go to Leicester. They are all the same stadium, effectively. They've just got a different colour paintwork on them. They're the same design, they're the same layout and stuff like that. I think it's a bit soulless, personally. I think, you know, if you look at stadium redevelopments, look at what Tottenham have done. Incredible stadium. The Emirates is a very bad stadium design for atmosphere. Three tiers all the way around. That was a shockingly bad idea, that was, in my opinion. And and one of the things that I think also is, is, you know, I'm a South Bank season ticket holder. I think one of the things that needs to be considered about any redevelopment of Molyneux, something that I would argue from a trust point of view, is around the the South Bank being remaining a single tier stand, because I think at the moment you you put a, make a stand two tiered, you split your fans up. I mean, not that the when, North Bank. When, not, when, I, I, look, I'm going to do that South Bank parochial thing now, Stu. Right? Not that the North Bank sung that much back in the day. But they used to sing a lot more than what they currently do. And I think it being a two-tier stand made a, a massive difference. Yeah, and it happened at Wembley for the semi-final because Watford got it spot on that day. They had the singing section, which we all took the piss out of, thinking, ah, they're, they're so small that, yeah, they need one of them. And actually, all their people together, it worked perfectly. And yeah, yeah we, we know we, we've been over that, non- that game enough. <laughs> but the point uh, is... I, you know, I've, could... never watched, I've never watched the highlights back. Oh, I did. Yeah. I mean, but... No, I can't. I can't do it. I, I, when we she'll were she'll, two, be, she'll when be making you watch it. Or, when I was 2 0 off, my partner, who was, who was looking through my dining room window at me, going, This man <laughs> talks too much and he, he needs his tea. Right. She, I was had in my head what I was going to tell her. For the final, we were on holiday on a cruise in the Adriatic. I was getting it in my head saying, Right, first time in 60 years, cup final. <laughs> Your mum can have the ticket. She can go on holiday for two weeks. I'll have my cup final. That'll be my holiday. Da, 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 da. And then Troy Deeney, a combination of Troy Deeney, John Ruddy goalkeeping and everything like that brought me back to reality. I had two great weeks in the Adriatic on a cruise. <laughs> but I have to this day never, ever watched that game back. I never watched the highlights back. And then I came into work the next day and all the, and a lot, I worked with a lot of Villa and Albion fans and all we had on the radio on loop all day was Elton John, all day. And I'll, ne- I'll never because because obviously he's a, a Watford icon, but they thought it would be absolutely funny just to play his music at me all day long in the office. And I've, I've never ever forgiven them for that. Worst of course, I've never watched the highlights back either. She'll be making you watch the highlights after all this. No, um, she will be definitely. But that was the point, though. Two tiers didn't. Well, three tiers at Wembley because she got that middle nonsense. Yeah, yeah. it didn't work. And we're not no. we're not used to it, and we're not that kind of club, are we? And that, I think no. that's the difference. That with all this, the, all this stuff that we talked with, amazingly, an hour and twenty minutes about. Yeah, I know. It's we are. I know it's kind of hyperbole and rah rah walls and whatever. But we are quite unique in what we are yeah. as a club. We've said about regardless of colours and branding and all that kind of stuff. As a fan base in one of the shittiest by technicalities and employment and all that kind of stuff places in the country you wouldn't expect one single thing to be the priority of a lot of people and it is and like we talked about earlier i mean we talked about me 
with my situation last year and a lot of people in the same boat, which is why they did it. And they listened to you guys. They listened to you and fair play to them for that. We've got fans all over that we, we're never going to be a tourist club because we are here, because we're in Wolverhampton yeah. of all places. And uh, we were talking a bit before, I never w- walked over the bridge in West Park before. I'm nearly I'm 40 years old this year. I've lived here my whole life. I've never walked over it. I don't know why. And it's an amazing thing. And it's literally on the doorstep in 10 minutes from Molyneux. And I text, I text Nate about this and said, look, I sent him a picture. I went, look, this was just right down the road from Molyneux. When you came over from literally the desert in Arizona, I never even thought to say, I'll go and have a look at West Park because we, the priority was watching Wolves and getting pissed. But the only, things the, like, the, the only like, thing to come to Wolverhampton as a visitor is the club. To come and see is us as a football club. And if you're an art buff, the art gallery, that's the only reason to come here. We have plenty around us there, whether it's Iron Bridge, whether it's, you know, that we are in the middle of the country. There is a lot to do around us, whether it's the West Midlands Safari Park with Black Country Living Museum, where I used to work or, or whatever. There's a lot to do around us, but we, the football club and the art gallery, if you're an art buff, is the only real reason to come to Wolverhampton. Yeah. And talking about the art, the art gallery itself, I mean, that... It's kind of stereotyping, I guess, but you are targeting an older kind of yeah. population on yeah. the whole. I mean, mm. we get things like, like this scarf behind me for the video people. That was sent by our friend Todd, who comes over from, I, I have no idea where he is now, but that was when he was in Colorado. He sent that over. And we do need, I mean, I presume it's written anyway, and we have got the International Lounge in the Steve Ball stand, which is weird anyway, seen <laughs> from the odd people... The odd person like Steve, uh, our Steve, friend Steve County coming out of a, in the championship when he was the only American we'd ever seen, <laughs> other than Marcus Hanneman. Um, <laughs> and then we've got Blake, who's, who's on here with us, and who lived here because he wanted to watch Wolves so much. And we do get this. And it is important to have fans from all over the world, and they have to have a place. But like you said, the whole point of the trust is, for us, for the normal people and the middle-class people, um, like Rich, who on here who <laughs> we can come on here and rant and rave and me scream about referees and i'm going to calm down a bit that because it's it's winding me up i don't want another seizure yeah. um, but this is our outlet but it's all we're talking about football we're not actually we're not talking about the club and i think the reason i wanted to do this today and to just get this out there and you've got i think eloquently put it quite well more than more than I expected. I, I thought that this would be twenty minutes. Obviously, yeah, man. And I, I, it's like a I, I just want to put it out there for, for everybody um, that that I thought it was going to be twenty minutes. <laughs> uh, you've got an hour and twenty five out of me. My dinner's gone cold, Stu, and I mean, Missus is probably be in a bad mood with me as well because she wanted to watch uh, Race Across the World with me, which is our like, uh, it's a great show to watch. It's yeah, good. Yeah. It's, it's it's good sort of thing like that, but. I hope I've sort of give people a different perspective of one, what the trust is about, two, the importance of the football club. We we, we turn up at Molyneux, we sometimes take it for granted. I think the one of the reasons why the trust came out when it did was it was post-pandemic. Yeah. We've only had it, it's with two years, we're, we're new, we're in our infancy, we're still trying to work out how to one promote, you know, promote us. Two, we're working out, we're muddling our way through it, right? The more people we get, the more people, you know, if you want to get if people want to join and want to get involved with the trust, we want that to happen because that's our 
that's how we're going to build and, and become bigger. And, uh, you know, it's easy for Man United and Chelsea to have supporters trusts that are 20,000 and people to sign up an email and stuff like that. I'd be really happy if we got the trust up to 500 members in the next few years. So if you're thinking, you know, you're watching this tonight, you like what I say. If you dislike what I say, have a look at the trust website and think, is that something for me? Is that something I want to be part of? Is that something I want to have an input on? Because you know what? We're coming up three years ago around now where we weren't allowed to watch our football club. And I think a lot of people took it for granted, just turning up on 90 minutes, we moan about a referee, we cheer a goal, we watch some great football or bad football or, or average football, which we've all watched over the years. We go and have a couple of pints in, in the Lichgate or in Weatherspoons or in whatever the pub of your choice is in Wolverhampton. Uh, and we go home and then we talk about it and work with our mates over the next week at how crap a certain player was or, or how well we played or something like that. I, I, and the trust, that's, that's, that's us and that's what we're there for, really. Give a different view to the club. Speak to the club, you know, in a constructive manner. You know, if you're, you know, I'm not going to turn around and, and criticise Vinnie Clark. He's got a job to do. <laughs> I'd like to give. I'm not going to turn around and, and criticise Jeff Shee necessarily. He's made some mistakes over the last year, us two, or three, maybe. Um, you know, uh, but I'm quite happy to have dialogue with those people and give our perspective because I think me or members of the trust speaking to those people is far more effective than having 7,000 fans chanting your name, calling you a wanker or whatever. But what used to happen to Jess Moxie? You know, I used to enjoy that. That was, I thought <laughs> it was acceptable as a 16-year-old to go into the South Bank and to chant for 40 minutes about the chief executive of the football club being a fat wanker. That's, that, I thought that was acceptable. I thought that was the way how we got the football change. Guess what? Jez Moxie was still in running my was still the chief executive running my football club for a further ten years after I was doing that chanting at him. It much more you know these people are human beings. They're much more likely to have a conversation with some fans, sit down in, in an orderly way where we can raise our concerns in a constructive manner and go, this isn't acceptable. Well done, you're doing this really great, by the way. You know what I mean? I think you get more out of people. That That's in life. If I was to criticise you now, Stu, on your interview technique and just, you know... Absolutely... No, no, I think you've been brilliant, by the way. But um, but if I was to absolutely criticise it from a third, secondary position, whether that be on Twitter or Facebook, to sit on Twitter going, Stu, old car interview for shit. You ain't going to pay attention to that, are you? Or you might think, you know, Dan Warren, this guy on Twitter criticising me. What an idiot. But if you've got Dan Warren going into a football club, sitting down, it doesn't have to be me, by the way. I'm just using me as an example. We have other trust members that sit on the fan advisory. You know, we have a trust member that sit on the fan advisory board, on the fan focus groups at the moment. We have them sitting on there. We have conversations about trying to match, you know, match the experience better. I've talked about ticketing pricing. Um, you know, if you if we can get trending on Twitter or Facebook, zero percent rise of Wolves this year in terms of season ticket prices, I think that would be a very strong message to the club. I also think it's a strong message to the club that nearly a 1,000 people did our ticketing survey, which will be announced on, on Monday. We'll put that on social media, Stu. If I can give you the link, Stu, will you be able to share that for us? And Yeah, 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 we'll put it. I think that would be really useful to go out to the wider fan base, really. This has happened. This is what, you know, this is our outcome and stuff like that. And, like, you know, getting the message out there. Because some people think, well, you know, I've had it thrown at me quite a lot, what we were talking about earlier about 
ticketing prices and stuff like that. Well, to be a more successful club, they're going to have to charge us more money. And then I've, I've given you the statistic that I've given, yeah, that shows that that isn't the case. Yeah. So anyway, I've had my I've had my hour and thirty minutes out of me now. Um, you know that'll be two hundred and fifty pounds consulting <laughs> you. And I've got, very, I've got a very miffed off missus now because I told her I'll be twenty minutes, half an hour at most, depending on how long me and Stu can talk about the fan advisory board and the support trust. But yeah, yeah. And just to clear, I'm not. I would never give you a fiver. I'm not part of the trust. No, you know. tried to tap me up in the Emerald Club about it, and I said, I'll, I did. "Open, open mind. I'll give, I'll give you thoughts." And I probably, I probably will I, now. But I would like um, to invite you, and and obviously any of you, obviously other guys that come on here and and and, and do the podcast. I'd love to invite you to our AGM on the 20th yeah. of April. Anybody, uh, it's AFC Wolfronians in, in Castlecroft. They've been very grateful. They've given us a venue to to run uh, to to um, hold our AGM there. Um, I'd like to say uh, give a welcome invitation to any Wolves fans. You're more than welcome to come see what we're about. You won't be able to vote on the night unless you join. So that you know, absolutely, please come along and 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 you know introduce yourselves to us. You know, I'm. As you can tell, I've spoken for an hour and a half. I can talk for England. You, might, you know, if you want to get home at midnight, you know, don't want to see the kids or the missus, come and talk to me about the Wolves for a few hours. I'm more than happy to do it. But on a serious point of view, come and see what we're about. Stuart, I'd like to, you know, invite you along regardless, and 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 the rest of the, you know, the rest of the guys on on, on the Wolves fan cast will come along, see what we're about, and you know, if it's for you, it's for you. If it's not, it's not. That's fair enough. Yeah, and obviously. No restrictions on age, gender, race, anything like that. Open Nothing at all. You're only qualifying. The only qualifying status is that you have a love for Wolverhampton Wonders Football Club. That's that's and, the only qualifying status, and that's the only one that matters. Absolutely, perfect way to end. So, guys, we will be back. Well, I might not. I need to lie down now. Um, yeah. We'll be back to preview the quite awful. <laughs> Well, let's not even talk about the Forest game because he's going to get all wound up again because we know what's going to happen. All be, all be calm. But yeah, Dan, thanks very very much for this. It's been... It's all right. I just had like more, a sort of moment there. I had a moment no, it, thinking about the possibilities of that game. I know. Well, Dan put in the in the group chat earlier on that there are, there are only two to one to beat us. And I thought, well, we're going their favourites, obviously because we are, because oh. they're awful. But they're quite we, good at home, we, though, aren't they? They get, they they're quite good at they get the results at home. Other than the, other than the Newcastle game, we've seen what happened against Bournemouth and Leeds. They're all referees fast that's going on at the minute. The likely outcome is we don't want to be talking about it. But Dan will be back next week. Um, I presume Thursday or Friday to talk about that Forest game. And oh, come on, let's hope we had two, we had two weeks off. Hopefully, this been this has been. Infotainment, I think the uh, the kids call it these days. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Dan. If you're interested in in the Walls Trust, we'll put it on on the link to there. I'll tag them in in the tweet for this. Um, we'll share it. Just go and have a look. Like Dan said, check it out. I'm not a part of the trust yet. I'll give it a go with an open mind. Everything that's been said in the last hour and a half. Um, I mean, ninety minutes is kind of. We should have planned it ahead and should have guaranteed that it's going to be 90 minutes just to be... Uh, I, I, I think so, but I think we've got five minutes of added time for time-wasting, personally. By a well, certain time, I mean, by a certain time, 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 time goalkeeper. Yeah. 
Let's let's not talk about football. It's not that kind of nah, show. Today. I'm done. You've had me money worth out of me. <laughs> Dan can go and have his food. You can go and do whatever you're doing. What time of day is? So, for me, ta-ra. When you're drinking a frozen beverage from McDonald's, your brain may not like how refreshingly cold it is, but the rest of your body, oh yes, it's gonna relish every moment of it because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's get all the chill you need for just a dollar 69 from any size frozen drink like a frozen fanta blue raspberry to a new ice cold lemonade prices and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer the united states border patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp.